0: Conair Bomb equips you with the precision and power previously reserved for men's grooming tools. So take your hair removal routine to the next level with Conair Girlbomb. Available at conairgirlbomb.com or a retailer near you.
1: You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life
2: Hey everyone, I wanna tell you about my new self-care practice. It's listening to the Forever 35 podcast. It's all about those self-care practices you love to text your friends about, and some self-care practices you thought nobody else did. Hosts Kate Spencer and Dori Shafrir discuss which face mist or serum they're loving, how to pronounce micellar water, and whether press on nails are a thing again. They go more than skin deep. You'll also hear amazing stories about growth, self-acceptance, maintaining friendships, and learning when to let go. No topic is off limits. And Dory and Kate get into it all with humor, honesty, and authenticity, along with guests like author Samantha Irby, chef Samin Nosrat, and even former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright. Seriously, I highly recommend it. So practice some self-care today. Put on a mask, a mist, or a moisturizer, and sit back, relax, and listen to Forever 35. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, from Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, and this is Encyclopedia Womanica. Today's leading lady is one of the most acclaimed and decorated actors in Hollywood history. Throughout a long, though often tumultuous career, she made approximately 100 films, received 10 Oscar nominations, and won the Best Actress award twice. She remains an icon to this day. Please welcome Betty Davis. Ruth Elizabeth Davis, known as Betty from early childhood onward, was born on April 5th, 1908 in Lowell, Massachusetts to Harlow Davis, a patent attorney, and his wife, Ruth. When Betty was seven, her parents divorced and Betty went to live with her mother. In 1921, Betty, her mother, and younger sister moved to New York City, where Ruth found work as a portrait photographer. It was there that young Betty got her first taste of acting and also excelled as a Girl Scout patrol leader. For high school, Betty was sent to Cushing Academy, a private boarding school in Massachusetts where she seemed to thrive. After school, Betty decided that she wanted to pursue an acting career, so she auditioned for the famous Manhattan Civic Repertory. She was rejected because the director found her attitude insincere and frivolous. After this blow, Betty took her talents to Rochester, where she auditioned for a stock theater company run by the soon-to-be-very-famous director George Cukor. Though Cukor was not particularly impressed with Betty's acting chops, he gave her what's generally considered to be her first paying acting gig as a chorus girl in one of his plays. This led to a series of gigs with other stock theater companies, and Betty was soon earning acclaim for her skills on stage. Not long after, Betty was cast as Hedwig in a large production of the play The Wild Duck. She performed the role in Boston, Philadelphia, and Washington, D.C. throughout 1929. That same year, She also made her Broadway debut in the play Broken Dishes. Next, she appeared in another Broadway show called Solid South, where Betty was spotted by a Universal Studios talent scout who invited her out to Hollywood for a screen test. Presumably, the test went well, because in 1930, at the age of 22, Betty signed her first Hollywood studio contract with Universal Studios. Betty made her film debut in the 1931 picture Bad Sister, starring Humphrey Bogart. Unfortunately, it was not a hit. Betty followed up this performance in five more very mediocre films for Universal, which weighed on her and made her question her talent. The famous actor George Arliss, however, was a believer in Betty. He convinced his studio, Warner Brothers, to hire Betty in 1932 to play opposite him in the film The Man Who Played God. The prestigious film was a major hit and an industry breakthrough for Betty. She was quickly signed to a lucrative, long-term contract with Warner Brothers. This was both a gift and a curse. Betty would star in many studio hits under this contract. She would also spend many years fighting with Warner Brothers over the treatment of their female stars. Over the subsequent three years, Betty was in 14 films for Warner Brothers, some of them good, some of them forgettable. It wasn't until Betty was lent to another studio, RKO, that her career hit a new high. Betty agreed to play the role of Mildred in RKO's movie version of the novel Of Human Bondage. It was not a glamorous role by any means, and a number of other stars had already turned down the part, but Betty was thrilled with the opportunity as it allowed her to really sink her teeth into a complex role that required serious acting skills. Betty's astonishing performance in the film earned her massive critical acclaim. Suddenly, she was a hot commodity. Her own studio, Warner Brothers, took notice and started offering Betty better roles. She won her first Academy Award for Best Actress for her lead role in the Warner Brothers film Dangerous. But her anger and resentment with the studio and contract system soon came to a head. In 1936, Betty traveled to London to star in two films with the British production company. Warner Brothers was furious and sued her for breach of contract. Betty fled to Canada in order to avoid being served, but soon went back to London to fight her case in the courts there. During the whole saga, the press portrayed Betty as greedy, petulant, and overpaid, rather than recognizing her legitimate concerns. Betty eventually lost in court and returned to Hollywood. Interestingly, she was actually treated with greater respect upon her return. Warner Brothers offered her a new and improved contract and promised to give her even better roles. Thus began the golden age of Betty's career. She starred in a series of hit films playing diverse and memorable roles, including her turn as a Southern Belle in the 1938 film, Jezebel, for which Betty won her second Oscar.
0: Saucy, isn't it? And vulgar.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes, isn't it? Come on. Get me out of this. Julie, what are you doing? If it fits me, I'm going to wear it to the Olympus Bowl. A red dress to the Olympus Bowl
0: while you're out of your senses.
2: Her other box office successes during the period included the films Dark Victory, The Old Maid, and The Private Lives of Elizabeth and Essex, among others. It was in these films that Betty perfected the iconic techniques and personal mannerisms that would become her signature. She used a clipped, gravelly manner of speaking, performed with a cigarette in hand. Betty's popularity continued to grow in the early 1940s as she put out box office hit after hit. Though not considered a glamorous actress per se, she was celebrated for her acting skill and range. But in August 1943, Betty suffered a significant tragedy when her husband, Arthur Farnsworth, suddenly and unexpectedly passed away after a fall. Though Betty continued to work afterwards, Her films over the subsequent seven years were pretty uniformly lackluster, and she no longer held much sway as a box office draw. Then in 1950, Betty made a comeback with her incredible and incredibly over-the-top performance as Margot Channing in Joseph Mankiewicz's film All About Eve. The film gave Betty the opportunity to play a character that was basically made for her and included a now iconic line. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. The performance earned her yet another Academy Award nomination for Best Actress. Throughout the 1950s, Betty continued appearing in movies. Her personal life began to deteriorate after she married Gary Merrill, with whom she had an abusive relationship driven by alcohol. In 1962, Betty was cast opposite her real-life nemesis, Joan Crawford, in the film Whatever Happened to Baby Jane? If you're long-standing fans of Miss Davis and
1: Miss Crawford, this motion picture is quite unlike anything they have ever done.
2: The film, which is about two crazy, feuding sisters living together in an old Hollywood mansion, was a huge hit. A venture to the ultimate reaches of terror. A motion picture definitely not for the squeamish. Betty earned yet another Academy Award nomination for it, her last. The role fueled a career revival that lasted more than a decade. Betty continued to perform in both film and on television throughout the 1970s and 80s, even after being diagnosed with breast cancer in 1983. Betty made her final major film appearance in the 1987 movie, The Whales of August, starring opposite another Hollywood icon, Lillian Gish. Around that same time, Betty's cancer returned. While traveling in France, she became very weak and was hospitalized. She died on October 6, 1989. She was 81 years old. Betty was a strong-willed, independent woman who is one of the greatest and most iconic stars in Hollywood history. Tune in tomorrow for the story of another leading lady,